I'm going to hand things over now to Stephen Gilchrist, who's going to preach the word for us today. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. There we go. So I want to give a, a time of appreciation to you guys. And I think first, I need to start with my wife and my kids. Because we have been doing this for a while. My wife, Ebony, and we have two lovely twins, um, Titus and Leah. You guys saw Titus last week. Uh, we had been doing lots of uh, Zoom calls in the beginning, and so just them allowing me the, man, two, three-hour Zoom calls, Jimmy, um, once a month, sometimes twice, so it's been a lot. Secondly, um, I want to thank Rebecca. So a lot of you guys don't know this. When I was at my previous church, I did some youth ministry, um, middle school ministry is what we called it, and that's where I got to really get to know Rebecca and Stephen. And through them, I got to kind of learn the heartbeat of in town. So um, were it not for me meeting them and enjoying them, who knows if I would be here for this project. Um, third, I got to know Jimmy and Jim a little bit through GA a couple years ago, um, knowing Jimmy through Mac meetings, getting a chance to just talk with him. And he was a very um, loving, kind brother to someone who he didn't have to be kind to. And then I want to thank, um, let's see, Billy, Nigel, Luke, and Michelle. Um, they have been faithful uh, week in, week out, uh, even through the week, uh, and emailing us and making sure we have everything we need. Um, it's not a small thing. And then lastly, I want to thank y'all. So if I'm, if I'm being honest, on, on, the, on the end of a, a death that probably shouldn't have happened, we have this Zoom call, first call, just to talk about what this could look like. And my question is, at that time, well, who, who's going to actually come week in, week out? Who's going to sit through this? I mean, that Zoom call was rough and, you know, we're all on the screen but to consider the weight of this project even then, and to see you guys showing up Sunday mornings at 9, coming here at 1045, um, being gracious with comments, saying what's really on your heart, engaging us, um, that means a lot. Because if we're being honest, and I know we like to act Christian in church, but let's just be honest. You don't really have to sit here and listen to it. You could all just stay home. It could just be us and Agins and a few other people and, you know, you just kind of pipe in when you want to or, you know, just cut it off when it's time for the sermon. But the fact that you guys were faithful to sit here, to show up and to listen, to engage means more than you know. Trust me, it means more than you know. Because this is hope. For me, Ephesians 4.3 is a life verse basically saying maintain or strive to maintain the spirit, no, excuse me, strive to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Meaning, if we really believe Christ tore down that dividing wall and he created peace, 
He created this unity of Jew and Gentile, those who were far off and those who were near. And we're now one new man. It's not our command. It's not our job description as believers to strive to maintain it, not to create it. That's why we can't live in the story of America. We gotta live in the story of the Bible. It's already been created. It's not our responsibility to maintain it. And I think in 10 weeks, I think we've done that. And we still got some, some more to go, amen? All right, we're gonna hear the reading and then I'll say a few words. Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 3 through 5 and 9 through 21. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you would pray with me. Father, let us pray. <clears throat> let us ask of you much this morning. As you have gathered us here to hear your word, to sing, to pray, to think, to be impacted by your word. You have invited us to be hearers and doers of your word, Lord, make it so. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now it shocks most people when I, I tell them that the first organized sport I played was soccer. It shocks them because I'm, I'm pretty awesome at basketball, if I could be so humble. 
Then I tell them that my second organized sport was baseball, then my third was playing in the basketball league. I can remember how it all happened. At my college preparatory school in Oklahoma City, I was in the fourth grade and it was right after PE, I was approached by a kid's dad. The moment this man was a stranger to me. He says, man, you're pretty fast. You ever play soccer? I say no. He tells me that his son plays on a team and they could sure use a guy like me. Same school, now in the fifth grade, after PE, another stranger dad approaches me and he says, hey, bud, I don't know why people call me bud. Hey, bud, you're pretty fast. Saw you running circles around those kids. You ever play baseball? No, I say. He tells me that his son plays on a team and they could sure use a guy like me. Same school, same grade, different season, different strange parent approaches me. Hey, bud, you're pretty athletic. Are you playing on a team? I, I tell him no. He says, well, you can just follow out. My son plays on a team, and we sure could use a guy like you. But then he goes a little step further. He says, do you, do you have a ride home? I, I love to, to drive you home and meet your parents. Now, this is back in the 90s. So it, it's not as creepy as it sounds now, but it's still creepy. I love to meet your parents and ask if you can play on a team. And guess what? I'll pick you up. I'll take you to the game. After the game, I'm going to feed you and then I'll bring you home. And I'll also pay for the fees for you to play on the team. See, all these instances had something in common. I was seen as useful to them. No one was concerned about stranger danger back then. Uh, I was considered, you know, in fourth and fifth grade, I guess, like a free agent. I just needed to hear a really good pitch to see if I would play on these teams. They all hoped that I would be the key to helping their son's team win. But I bet, I'm willing to bet, if, if I could find that, that baseball dad, he would tell you that he went on to regret ever asking me to play. So how did all this happen to the dads? I think the culture colonized them. You see, for some time, way back then, all the way to the present, in order to get what we want, we, 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 we champion individualism and, and, and self-esteem, which is really a competing worldview for us as Christians. Why? Because the fellowship of believers, the, the body of Christ, has something to say about private matters in practical and moral ways that not only impact the body, it impacts our witness. You see, I'm going to use a term that maybe some of you of a certain age won't know. The culture is shouting, you do you, and YOLO. YOLO means you only live once. For those of you, nod your head and we get that, okay? All right, amen. And so it's always trying to cultivate this idea of know your worth and then worship it. 
Know your worth and then worship it. And after you worship, call others to worship it too in order for you to have this affirmation that you are now valued. Culture is always calling us to value ethics and value morals in a, in a very weird, weird way. But here's the thing we gotta understand. Ethics don't equal morals. Ethics do not equal morals. I'm gonna quote from my mentor, Carl Ellis again, in this description of what ethics are. It's the application of God's word to issues of covenant obedience in all areas of life. It's the application of God's word to issues of covenant obedience or disobedience in all areas of life. You see, ethics is when Christians take the word of God and we apply it in ways that are faithful and in step with the gospel. Not just, oh man, I read the Bible. I read through it in one year and now look how good I am. Man, to do the Christian thing, I've got to vote the Christian way. If anybody can find out what is the Christian way, come talk to me. In order to do the Christian thing, I've got to send my kids to the Christian school. But if you know anything about Brown v. Board of Education case, you would know that Christian schools came out of racism. Not wanting their kids to go to the schools that they were forcing these black kids to integrate with. They pulled their kids out, pulled their money out with them, and went out and started a Christian school. Now tell me, where is Jesus in that? Ethics don't equal morals. And not only that, we have this thing about identity formation. It gives us power. You see, as those dads saw me as being useful to their son's team, I was really given this, this bridge, if you will, to see myself the same way. I mean, who wouldn't? You're in fourth grade, you're in fifth grade, and you got these three dads that really want you to be on their son's team. And so, I mean, they're going to go so far to make sure you can play. I'll pick you up. I will feed you. I'll take. Who doesn't want to sign up for that now? Somebody want to take me home and feed me? Not that I don't eat. I'm just saying, hey, we got one. Is there another? Is there another? Amen. We got two. Is there another on this side? This side. Okay, there's a hand. There's a hand. See, I, I want to remind us of something that's very useful. True meaning of useful. We have this thing called, I'm going to borrow from my seminary professor, we have this thing called relational commonality. What do I mean by that? I mean in the very pure essence of the fact that we are made in the image of God, all of us, we have something in common, Right? Now, I'm going to be a little bold here, but I know that there are churches that are very strongly anti-abortion, and you should be. Hear me, you should be. But often that, that strong sense of being like Jesus and preaching Jesus only stops after you leave Planned Parenthood or after that baby is born or, or rescued and not, go, not taken into that place of business. But what about after that? What is it that we do after that baby is sort of rescued? We don't seem to have the same fervor to apply the word of God 
the call of being anti-death to the kids who are not killed. But in reality, because we've been made in his image, you and I have something in common with the rest of the world. We have this relationship with our creator that even Romans 1 says people are suppressing. They're suppressing the truth, but they have it. They don't want it because they know that he's ruler, he's Lord of all, but it's there. It's still very much there. The other point of that is that the redeemed, those who have named them Christ, are born again in Christ and adopted into one family in local expressions. So now, for those of us who are Christians, we have two levels of relational commonality. Amen? So not only are we have, not do we have something in common with our lost neighbor, we have something in common with our redeemed sibling. And I want to say sibling because I want you to understand we're a family. This isn't, hey, you know, this is a good Christian. He's a member of Westside. No, this is your brother, and you are my sister, and you are my brother. And I have people in here who are older than me who are seen as my elder, my older parents. We got to start there. See, the church can love God and their neighbor, redeemed or not. Because if you've ever looked at the Ten Commandments, we really have this relational commonality tied up in the Ten Commandments. I mean, the same God who was saying, look, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Now hear my words to you as I get ready to send you into this promised land. It lets us walk through this, this truth of who God is because the Christian ethic of love is a communal ethic. This Christian ethic of love is a communal ethic. <clears throat> Far too often I run into people who kind of have this Joshua mentality. As for me and my house, do we know who Joshua was when he said that? He was the new leader of Israel. There was no just for me and my house as if the rest of his tribe and the other 11 tribes were not to be together. It's not to be doing something that God had called them to do. And now, being a minority in America and a minority in the Presbyterian Church in America, it means that I get to constantly run up against this reality that good morals and good orthodoxy or good practice doesn't always mean good orthopathy. Good morals and good practice doesn't always, or good belief doesn't always mean good practice. There's this really clear distinction between Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ. I want to read to you something that Frederick Douglass said. He said, I love the pure peaceable and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity." End quote. You see, Frederick Douglass was a believer, and he, 
he had a point there, whether we want to admit it or not. You see, chasing good biblical doctrine, it, it has to have a purpose for us. As we ask this question, as we're closing down this project, we're asking this question of where do we go from here? Do we choose chaos or do we choose community? So chasing good biblical doctrine must have a purpose. And I'll submit to you that the purpose is to live right in a world affected by the fall. Simple, right? Love God, love neighbor. We said it this morning on seminar. It's really, really simple in a way. But I can tell you this, if we somehow choose to act depraved ethically while believing rightly, saints, we will result to nothing. Our system of theology will mean nothing. So if a man says, I love my family, but he's never there with his family, how much does he love them? If the, if the wife says the same, and she's always off somewhere, she's always on vacation, and how nice that would be, saying, let's go to a beach together. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> Amen, get rid of this pollen, man. All this yellow stuff on our cars, this, this is the fall, y'all. Ain't nothing but sin. And when large numbers of people in a culture become Christians, and they begin to understand the, the ethical implications of the gospel, I believe society transforms. Society will transform. Do not, don't we recall the words of Jesus when he said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the Well, the words of Paul and the words we have here, outdo one another in showing honor. Or contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Or do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So you can take all three and just kind of pick whichever one you like. Either way, Paul's calling you to do something with your Christianity, not just kind of sit back and relax and enjoy yourself. Right? I want to do something here. We, are we a talking church here, Jimmy? Okay. I got to ask that question. I just got to ask. I've been in enough Presbyterian churches, so I know you guys write notes as you talk. How, how comfortable are we with really trying to outdo one another for the sake of making Jesus famous? Raise your hand. Okay, I'll go to the next. How much deep inside does our love of Jesus and the fact that he got up from the grave compel us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality? Raise your hand. Okay? It's better. Now, what would it mean for us to take this commandment at face value and to say, I am going to associate with those that the world looks down on? I'm going to associate with the lowly and not be arrogant because of where I live, how much money I make, the job that I have, and the school that my kids go to. Raise your hand. 
And we're not doing this because we want to pat ourselves on the back and say good ethics and good morals. We're doing this because of, and get this, because we're Christians. Just because we have named the name of Christ, trusting in his words that we now have the promise of eternal life, we're actually going to obey anything he has told us to do. In other words, saints, this isn't optional. Once we get past this sermon and you go on to whatever series is next, obeying the word of God is not optional. Even when we're not talking about Philemon, because as my brother Jason said, and I'm so thankful you said this, and I've been saying this to my church, see this whole reconciliation thing has only been dwindled down to black and white and we have lost sight of the rest of the people in this world which is why some people love to go to Africa, but they won't go across the street. Or some people love to sort of pat our Asian American brothers and sisters on the back, but they're still seen and treated as outsiders. And in reverse, yes, black folk can be racist. And so if we get, we get to sort of get a pass because we're in a predominantly white denomination, and now you guys don't, you can't say anything. Sin is in every single person. Amen, somebody. So we've got to stop treating this like it's just a black and white issue. We need more black people to show. We need more color. We need more colors. This is not a TV screen. This is the work of God. God's been saving a variety of people since the beginning of time. And in this book, he had a Jew He had a half Jew, half Greek, and then he had some Greeks. All in this letter. So we should never think the goal is to be like the United Nations. We should think the goal is to be like the kingdom. And saints, that means you gotta outdo one another and show an honor. You gotta contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. And you gotta stop being arrogant. Stop thinking it's all about what you know. I'm, I'm about to take a test to be in the PCA. And we love to talk about what we know. We don't brag about what we've done. Not often. We brag a lot about what we know. But guess what? All that knowledge gets you if you don't do what God's called you to do. You can say it loud, sister. <laughs> gets you nothing. <laughs> if you read James 2, if you ever just want to read that book, Check out what James says about how much the devil knows. But here, for us, I'm believing in societal transformation. I'm believing in us trusting in the work, the finished work of Christ, and now going to live this out. I'm believing in this because we need the Holy Spirit. And we have the Holy Spirit. So to, to live ethically is not just something we do based on willpower. It, it, needs to be, it needs to be fueled. It needs to be energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's with his power that we can, I think, begin to see image bearers and born-again saints as useful. 
and as having commonality with us. It's not, let me just kind of put on a program and see how friendly I can be to the loss for a certain number of weeks and then I'm, I'm done. Because that's not how we want God to treat us, amen? No, just, just imagine, we're talking ethics now. Imagine if, if we were sort of flaky and God was sort of flaky. How, much of, how many of us would be willing to just go out there and just sell out for the gospel? You know why? Because we, we want to promise in return. And God was faithful enough to give us that. So we as Christians in America, we need this biblical fidelity. We need this, this sense that God has said it and I believe it and he's going to do it. And so this, transfer, this uh, societal transformation is possible, but it's secondary. It's secondary. The, the, the primary thing is that we, the redeemed, the church, actually will take God at his word. We will take God at his word. What I mean by that is that the, the church that's meeting in Philemon's house and the church that meets here has this weighty responsibility of sustaining and furthering the gospel in ways that are tangibly seen. This is all connected to, to Paul's words. And Philemon, he, he, he boasts about in this letter that he, he has written, he says, look, look at my son, Onesimus. Now, Paul's Jewish, talking about a, a, a former Greek slave who is now his brother in Christ. He refers to him as his son, like that. It wasn't, man, you got you to do some things for me before I can kind of bestow this, this love, this biblical love on you. He's sharing the gospel. The man keeps coming to where Paul is under house arrest. He says that he believes and now he has become this precious son that, God, that Paul has begotten in the faith while he is in chains. This is how he writes of him. He says, he served me very well in this house. And I found him to be very, very useful. And so instead of keeping him here with me, as I had the right to do, Philemon, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you. And know that when you see him as he comes with this letter, you're looking at my very heart. This is covenantal familial language, y'all. This isn't just hyperbole. Receive him back as you, as you would receive me. No longer a slave, but better than a slave. Paul, even there, was was commanding and pursuing Philemon to this ethical change, both in his life and in the lives of others. Paul had to show them that it was good news before they understood the good news. Did you catch that? Paul, in his writing, had to show Philemon, a church that meets in his house, that it was good news before they heard the good news. See, what I mean by that is it's sort of equivalent to your your uh, prayer, which is amazing how God lines these things up. You see, often I have been invited to speak at places, and I said this before, I think in a seminar, I've been invited to the table but never really given a voice to speak 
at the table because there's so much suspicion of, well, where's he from? What's his lineage? Like, uh, how much time has he spent in the PCA church as if God's only saving Presbyterians? Won't be the first, won't be the last, unfortunately. And yet, and still, there's the sense of, well, he says he's a Christian, but I've got to ask him questions to sort of test it. And Paul doesn't even write that way in any of his letters, actually. Paul is saying straight up, this man said he believed he is now my son of faith. I'm sending him back to you. Receive him as a brother. As much as we, we will tell people, and we believe this to be true, that if you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and you repent of your sins, you are now saved with the promise of eternal life, adopted and regenerated into the body of Christ. We say this. We believe it happens just like that. I wonder if we are willing to treat people the same way as we say what happens to them is really true. His new birth announcement that Paul gave in his writing just really gave a new identity to Onesimus. He went from slave to brother. And his new identity came with this new reality that he was once outside, now he's inside of the faith, and he's now a part of the church that meets in Philemon's house. And so it ought to be manifest in the way that he's treated. In other words, saints, new birth comes with benefits. So he says, yes, Philemon, I want to, I, I want to receive some benefit from you and the Lord. And we're talking about like benefits that come from you entering the household of faith, this, this sense of assurance, this sense of, sense of love, this sense of community. Because now we have been reconciled with God. And if the gospel is really good news, we should be reconciling with other household members. Amen? Paul calls for conflict resolution. He says it, let love be genuine. Live in harmony with one another. And the gospel brings that conflict resolution. It brings that ethical resolve because he's calling the church to a higher level of Christian conduct than what the culture has actually said we should be comfortable with. And here we are with, with our, our palms. Don't we know that Christianity is not about comfort? As you wave those palms, don't you understand that Christianity is not about comfort? See, culture loves comfort, but the Comfort keeps us from ethically obeying what we say we believe. Comfort never bothered our Lord. Comfort never kept our Lord out of the Gethsemane Garden. Comfort never kept uh, him from, from the Passion Week that we're about to celebrate. Comfort never kept him from riding in on a donkey, listening to men say, holy, holy, holy dealing with people who want to worship him with their lips, but not in their heart. Comfort never kept our Lord from that. And yet, that's probably our biggest, our biggest idol, if, we, if you will. So as I close, I want you to listen as I re remind you, as I remind us, really, that it's, it's, it's never too late to do right in places where wrong is celebrated. It's never too late to do right in places where wrong is celebrated. It's never too late to sing a song to the Lord in places where people want everything else but the Lord.
It's never too late to be Jesus' people to a people that hate Jesus. I mean, isn't that evangelism anyway? It's never too late to lose the whole world, its reputation, its power, its influence, its fame for a soul that is ransomed and redeemed. It's never too late to live hopeful in the ethics of this world because we are, as Christians, content and striving to apply the Word of God to the issues of obedience in our life. Saints, it's never too late to see people as useful. So where, where do we go from here? Do we choose chaos or community? Will we allow ourselves to be shaped by the culture or will we allow our community in town, hello, will we allow our community to be shaped by Jesus? So if your culture and your think tank and then your God is saying that you're right on everything, you got the wrong God. Will you live like the tomb is empty? Will you live like the tomb is empty or is, has he just been misplaced? Will you live without fear? I'm saying this to you as my siblings because I, I know some of y'all got some fears. Man, what's going to happen? Will I be rejected? Will this person yell at me? Will I be seen as weird? Will I be rejected by my own community? Will these people love me less? And I ain't talking about saints, typically. I'm talking about just other communities that, that we belong to. Will you live in fear? Will that fear keep you from celebrating who Christ is everywhere you go? Not just everywhere. Everywhere. That means don't just come in here and act Christian and then go home to your community and sort of hide who you are. Take that light with you everywhere you go. Will we live with awareness? Will you live knowing that, I don't know how many of you guys are um, staying up on media, but there's a, a rapper who uh, has a video with some tennis shoes out. And he's, he's sort of like poking fun at the church and poking fun at there being a Satan. But we know that Satan is real. We know that Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. So will we live with this awareness that Satan is actually on the job all the time? But we have this word. We have this gospel, saints. We have this message that can destroy and overcome Satan. Will we live in that awareness? Will you listen being teachable and humble? The answer is yes to that because you sat through 10 weeks of this. So we can just keep that going, amen? But again, it's not about willpower. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to encourage each other to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Will you live dependent on the power of the Spirit? Saints, I hope that even though this is a really high call, and I told Jimmy I didn't want to close out the project, mainly because my birthday is tomorrow, and it's like, uh, preparing a sermon, and then, you know, you're tired. You got to celebrate your birthday while you're tired. But Jimmy just, you know, he, he, he said something sweet or whatever, and so I just agreed to it. 
But saints, I, I would hope that we would choose relational commonality because it's true. We would see the lost as what we once were, and we would see the redeemed as someone that we need to be in fellowship with everywhere because his kingdom is bigger than just in-town community church. His kingdom is bigger than just Presbyterian church in America. His kingdom is bigger than the United States of America. I want to close with these words of Paul to Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. May those words be true of us. Let us pray. Lord, you are always doing a work. And you're always doing it through us. So let us be full of zeal to be faithful to obey, trusting that you will bring your word and your plan to completion. We thank you and we love you, not because of something that we've done or how we thought rightly. We thank you and we love you because of your son that you sent to die for us when we hated you to bring us into a family that we didn't know we needed and to give us all these spiritual benefits that we now have. Help us to trust you to live like it. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.